All right, if you can come on in and have a seat, we'll have some announcements. Well, it's good to see everyone here this morning. Just take a look around you and notice who's not here for whatever reason and make sure that, uh, that you're intentional about maybe reaching out to them, thinking about them, praying for them or whatever. Memorial Day weekend, a lot of people are out seeing family and things of that nature. We have a lot of people that aren't sitting in here with us now because they're downstairs taking care of kids. And by the way, we are very, very grateful. I know Kelly Elliott and Jake are uh, in Alabama seeing family, but for Kelly putting together the rotation right now, that's, uh, that's, that's, that's great uh, that we have people that are always taking care of those things and looking after that. And uh, for all of you that volunteer downstairs to take care of the children, thank you so much. Uh, I was t- talking to Joey Dixon last night, and I'm never on that rotation because I can't be, and he thinks I should be, like every week. Um, uh, you know, it's, uh, I can't, I can't say that I'm super jealous that everybody gets to go down there and be with, be with the children for an hour and a half. Okay. An hour and 45 minutes, maybe. But, uh, but, uh, I am so thankful for those that do, cause I know it's, um, I know that it's a joy, but also know that it can be trying. I know that it can be stressful, especially when there's a lot of kids, which we have when it's very noisy. Uh, so thank you. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. It's a very, very important role and ministry that happens here at Haven Ridge. Cause if we had all those children in here, um, I mean, who could hear me preach? You know what I'm saying? So I'm just kidding. If we had them all in here, it would make things a little more chaotic. So it's really, really nice to be able to have something intentional for them, focused on them. Uh, with regards to Little Me Academy, we're still in a holding phase for that. But I promise you, I have been in constant contact with um, with Mandy over there. She is optimistic. She has been optimistic. Uh, the restrictions are not her own, she says, but more DSS. So she's trying to follow those. And we get it because she has a business there. And if something happens, uh, it's, it's, it's harmful for her business. So she has to... She has to have a CEO type mentality as well as a, a sister in Christ, which she professes. So anyway, uh, just food for thought for that or just letting you know. Uh, also, with regards to missional communities, A, if you're not a part of one, be looking into one. We have four of them that are happening right now. We probably in some of these groups have enough to make a fifth group, but we're not really entertaining that right now. But so uh, with regard to missional communities, just a reminder, especially to our missional community leaders, um, be intentional and plan for something that your group can do together that's not just a meal, that's not just, um, you know, your questions, but something you can do to be on mission. An example, our group went to the abortion clinic several weeks ago, and we just prayed. We just prayed while some of them were sharing the gospel just to be a, a physical presence, just to be a supportive role there. And it was very, very rewarding um, to be there because uh, the gospel going out is very critical. It's very important, but praying uh, for that effort, praying for God to, to to bless that effort is very important as well. And that's a non-confrontational, non-combative, safe in a certain sense and not in another way of being a part of that ministry as a, as a missional community. But there are plenty of other things you can do. You're going to hear later about uh, the renewal program. You're going to hear 
uh, about Shepherd's Gate and all of that stuff. Natalie's going to come up and share. We have a video that Austin Hammers edited for us after they did a tour this week. And so we're going to show you that. And uh, that's just another branch of uh, ministry opportunity at Haven Ridge. So we have several things, and hopefully we'll develop more things in the future. But these are great avenues for your missional communities to get plugged in. So I encourage you to step outside of your of your huddles and, uh, and, and be a part of other things. Be intentional in that way. So... So that's the announcement for Missional Community. Today we have uh, the Haven Ridge Pool Party. It's a bring your own meat and bring a drink and a side for yourself plus one kind of a situation, which is what we normally do. And that's going to be at the Groves from 4 p.m. to 8 p.m. Swim party. So I know it's I know it's a strange 70 degrees outside today. Uh, so you just want to come and, and hang out and pet cantankerous horses, that's fine. If you want to do that, um, you just come and, and be a part. I don't think there's horse riding today, but they'll be there and you can admire and all that fun stuff. And just, it's a good time of fellowship, whether you swim or not. I'm sure the kids will swim no matter how cold it is, and they'll try to coerce you to get in the pool too, but you be strong and, uh, and don't try to guilt me into anything. All right, so uh, just a reminder, we have several teams here at Haven Ridge. We have a hospitality team. We have uh, the mission team. We have the uh, tech team. Uh, we have children's team. We have all of these teams, and each of these teams have team leads. And we encourage you, if you're not plugged in and you want to serve in a way, uh, in, in some way, one of these teams is a great way for you to serve. Many of you are on one of these teams. We haven't hand-selected and said, hey, we want you specifically and you specifically and, like, custom-made these teams. These are, these are open to anybody who wants to serve. This is just a way for the church body to use their giftings to edify the church. So if that's your heart, there's not this certain rotation to where you have to wait a certain time to, to get on to one of these teams. Just talk to us, and we can tell you who the team leads are. And, uh, and get plugged in in that way. I know that some of them would be ready and willing to have some, uh, some help. So I know uh, Austin Hammers has been a, a huge boost to, uh, to the tech team, and I know Jake plans on leaning on Austin Hammers a lot because of some of his skill set. But, uh, but many of the tech teams, such as um, Caroline, Lissandra, Nathan, have really, have really stepped up and stepped in and really lightened the load for Jake, and have done a tremendous job in uh, making these things happen. Final announcement is this. Next Saturday, so, uh, so Bill right here down front. If you haven't met Bill, you need to meet Bill, but most of you have. So Bill's sitting right here in front of me. He will be moving next Saturday. Okay, so uh, we have asked him if we can help with that, and he's, 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 he's totally fine with that. Um, and so if you're available, I will send out on Realm, or if you're not connected with Realm, shoot me a text or talk to me afterwards if we don't have the number and you want to help him move, and I can get you that address. But that's going to be next Saturday at 10 a.m. Yes. Well, that's what I am Okay. So there's this weird debacle on what you mean when you say next Saturday. So, you know, by the power vested in me, okay, let me say that it is Sunday. If there's like five or six days away and I say next, it is the one that's coming up. Okay, where's 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 Antoine? Where's Antoine? Okay, so Huh? So 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 good good example. So Tuesday you would say this coming Tuesday. You wouldn't at this point say next Tuesday because we're gonna think you yeah. <laughs> so for clarity this coming Saturday, all right, six days from this day, 
Yes, the early portion of June, we will go to Bill's house and help him. If you show up two Saturdays from today, we will laugh at you, you know, uh, because you have, you struggle with directions. So that's all there is to that. Um, so anyway, sorry, we, we went off on a tangent there. All right, see, Benjamin and Mary, I'm getting better with, with announcements. So let's have our call to worship, and I want to read to you from the book of Hebrews. I meant to read this last week, but it, it, it was totally lost on me. I totally got caught up and forgot to read for our call to worship. So let's read from the book of Hebrews. I'm going to start in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11, and just read a, a portion of this chapter. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come... Then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy place, not by means of blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, Purify our, con- our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded of you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Thus, it was necessary for the copies of heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf." Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy place every year with blood, not of his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the age to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Let's pray. Father, having read that, I pray that our heart's attention, our mind's attention and our heart's affection are both stirred and focused on the imputed righteousness of Jesus through the shedding of his blood, accomplished fully on the cross, completed in resurrection, and then applied to those who believe. 
Lord, I thank you for entering into the Holy of Holies. I thank you for entering that holy place, that heavenly place, a place not made with hands, a place that only you could enter, that only you would be worthy of in order to prepare a place for us. So, Lord, we long for that day. Lord, we long for that day when we are made complete. Father, when we are made equipped to withstand your glory, to enjoy your glory, to enjoy your renown, to enjoy your majesty forever. I pray that the desire of our heart now would be that we would enjoy as much as we possibly can here in this finite, finite flesh. God, in this temporal vessel that we inhabit, I pray that even in our weakness, even in our deficiencies, that you might grant us the grace to be able to experience you well. And Lord, that you might also grant us the grace to offer you our praise in a way that is pleasing and in a way that is acceptable. We ask that you inhabit our praises. May they be offered to you in a way that is right, that is true, that is pure, and that is of spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together.
Messiah, Lord of all, Jesus Messiah. 
sorrows, dead in my sin. Lost without hope, with no place to begin. Your love made a way to let mercy come in. When death was arrested, my life began. Ash was redeemed, only beauty remained. My orphan heart was given a name. My morning grew quiet, my feet rose to dance.
So before Nathan starts the video, I'll just kind of prep it for you. Um, this week, Shanna, Finley, Natalie Dixon, and Austin Hammers. There wasn't any, that was the three, right? Austin. Uh, they went to uh, they went to Miracle Hill. Uh, the they, they just opened a branch of Shepherd's Gate, uh, so they'll be able to minister to more women. Uh, and if you don't know, if you're kind of new to what we're trying to do here as a church, is uh, we've linked arms with, we've partnered, I guess you should say, with uh, Miracle Hill. These women are drug-addicted women, a lot of issues that they have, and what's what's great about Miracle Hill is they really are holding the line. There's a lot of mercy ministries, there's a lot of things like that that are kind of detached from the gospel. What they want to do is they just want to, to help, and that's good. They want to get these ladies off drugs, and that's great. What Miracle Hill is doing such a fantastic job of is they're working to take care of those physical needs as well, but they're also at ministering the gospel. There's, they're dealing with bodily needs as well as, as, well as heart needs. I, I was reading the book of Acts this morning, and I can't help but think of, you know, Peter walking around and the guy who's lame at the beautiful gate, and he's asking for alms. He's asked for money, and Peter says, gold and silver I don't have for you, but what I have for you is this, take up, take up your mat, you know. And so, and the guy went around praising God, so this idea here that he recognizes God. Now, I don't know if that guy put his faith in Jesus. I like to think that he did, but there's a cool, you know, spiritual thing happening versus a physical thing that's happening. And Miracle Hill's kind of in that, that ministry, especially with Shepherd's Gate and their renewal program. So what you're going to see is a, a brief little tour of their new facility that they're just opening and getting back going or getting going. And, uh, and there's a, uh, an interview with Ann towards the end. She's, uh, she's one of the volunteers there. And then Natalie Dixon is going to come up and share just a little bit about what it might look like for us to be involved with Miracle Hill. So go ahead. Miracle Hills Renewal Wade Hampton. Um, we currently have a renewal program that's over on Graves Drive, and this facility is actually an expansion of that um, facility. It's going to open up 20, 21 more beds for women that have been struggling with life-dominating addictions, and um, we're hoping that a lot of ladies that come into this facility will actually meet Jesus here mm -hmm. um, and begin their journey towards health and healing with him. Um, so this was a facility that has been owned by Miracle Hill for 27, 28 years, was formerly the Miracle Hill Boys Shelter, 
In January, it started becoming repurposed for Miracle Hill Wade Hampton um, renewal. We are a seven-month residential Christian-based recovery program. The ladies will start here. They'll be in this facility, which is kind of like a stabilization program or a pre-program. Um, so they'll be coming in either directly from a re uh, detox facility. They might come from being incarcerated. They might come straight off the streets as long as they don't require um, being detoxed. So they're going to be fresh out of using. So our primary focus here will be fourfold. It will be evangelism and Bible study because if, if they turn around and decide to leave after six hours, we want to let them, we want to make sure they've heard the gospel and they, they know what we have to say. Um, and then the other two areas that we're really going to be focusing on are substance abuse education and um, relapse prevention because many of them haven't had that kind of education. What are the things that they're going to have to do? What are the things they're going to have to change? New behaviors they're going to have to put in place in order to, to stay clean and, and get healthy and stay clean. So um, the program here will be a little bit more relaxed than it is at the existing renew renewal program. They'll come in here, they'll stay 30 days, six weeks, something like that, be loved on, learn about the Lord, learn how to study the Bible, learn what it means to be a daughter of, Christ, of the King, um, what their ident new identity is. And so they'll, they'll start their healing journey here and just kind of get settled and safe and comfortable. And, and healthy, you know, mentally a little bit more clear, physically a little more rested. Um, we'll be at a little bit slower pace just to let them kind of catch their breath, build some trust with us, and know that, you know, they're in the right place. Then they'll leave here and go to the renewal facility where they'll hit the ground running and it's a much uh, more rigorous schedule over there. They're up at 5.30 in the morning doing chores and um, devotions and then they're in class from 8 to 5 on their 12-step recovery program. Prayer is the foundation here and we just appreciate all the prayer that you've already put into these ladies and, and just ask that you would continue that. Um, I'll be handing out cards to our residents each week. The, they can either be anonymous or they might give us their first name and just say what do you want us to pray for? It's a blank card, actually. And as they, and I'm going to say that I'm going to share this with people that care about you and um, never met you, but they love you because you're a sister in Christ. So I'll be sharing those cards with you as they get updated, hopefully weekly. And if your congregation would agree to pray and continue to pray, not only for the ladies that are here, but the ones that God will be calling here in the future, mm -hmm. for those that will move on to, to renewal and finish the program, um, and for the staff that's here so that we love them well, um, and that something they see here um, looks like Jesus. Absolutely. We just want to be salt and light. Absolutely. First of all, I just want to thank you guys for already the partnering that you've done with this ministry, um, with the, the yard sale to the Vons for coordinating that, and all of you guys that donated and worked the yard sale. Um, the money that we raised 
went toward furnishing the room that you saw in the in the video, the bedding and the towels and um, toiletries and um, Bible and journals um, for the for the ladies that'll be moving in there. Um, and I also wanted to thank Austin for um, just his time and um, meeting us for the tour and um, the the work that he put into the the video. Um, and I I wanted to share with y'all a couple of more opportunities that we can have to partner with this ministry. Um, as Anne said on the video, prayer is something that every one of us can can be doing. Um, and the, there's prayer cards over on the, the counter over here, um, if you can get one one per family. Um, but this is um, just an idea of some prayers that you can start praying over the ladies. The day that we were there touring, the first two ladies checked into the facility, and I'm pretty sure they were in the room that we furnished. Um, so that was pretty cool. Um, but Anne said that there was going to be, this past week, a couple more ladies each day checking in. So be praying for those ladies, be praying for, um, that the Lord would draw, um, more ladies there. As she said, there's 21 beds, so they have a huge opportunity to start ministry with those ladies. Um, and so, um, another opportunity, um, that we'll be starting in the next week or two is, um, meal preparation. Um, and this is, as Alan said, this could be an opportunity for missional communities to, um, to be able to serve together. There are, I, I posted on the app, um, there are some available times still. Um, there's some evenings that are, they ask you to be there from 4.30 to 6. Um, and then there's some lunch um, times that are still available that are from 10.30 to 12. And what it would look like is a team of one to three people. It could be a group of ladies. Um, it could be a husband and wife team um, that would go. They have everything all the food there for you. They have a menu, recipes, and she said it's pretty simple meals. Um, but it would be, um, initially it would be preparing the meals, um, having the meals ready for the ladies, and then cleaning up. Um, she did say that the COVID restrictions are lifting, so that could open up a really cool opportunity that you prepare the meal, you serve the meal, and then you get to sit and share a meal with the ladies and start building relationships. So we anticipate that happening pretty soon, that those restrictions will, will lift, and that'll open up more opportunities for us to even go in one-on-one -on -one and share a cup of coffee or bring lunch to the ladies. Um, so really excited about this opportunity. Um, if you will, if you're interested and have any availability, um, it was... A Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday, there was either lunches or dinners. Again, that's on the app. You can see the, the actual times. Um, and then if you um, missional community leaders can kind of talk with your group and see if um, if your group was able to do once a month, then we have four missional communities, then we could partner, and um, that might be easier for people to be able to um, just serve once a month during that time. So um, just be in prayer about that. Um, I think it's it would be a really cool cool opportunity for us um, to to get to begin building relationships there. Um, and I'm going to pray for this ministry and also for our missionaries. So pray with me, dear Heavenly Father, God. We just we thank you that you have entrusted us with um, just this good news, the truth of the gospel, Lord, and um, that 
you've opened up this door um, that we can we can um, serve you, Lord, in this capacity of um, loving and sharing um, with this group of ladies that may have never heard the name of Jesus, Lord. And um, so I just pray um, that you would continue to give us um, opportunities to to build relationships, Lord, to to be salt and light, like Anne said, Lord, and to to just to show your love um, in our word and our deed, Lord. Um, I pray for uh, the mi- missionaries, Lord, that that we support in Ireland and um, in Africa, in Bangladesh, in China, Lord. I know the Boyers um, and Doug and Lauren, Lord, are um, still in the states, Lord, and their um, their hearts are um, overseas, Lord, with the the people that you have sent them to, Lord. And so I just pray that you would open the door for them um, to be able to return. Um, in whatever capacity that is, Lord, that you would just give them a peace as they wait on your timing. And Lord, I just, I pray for the people in the, in the countries, Lord, um, that, that are without hope, um, Lord, that you would just, um, you would send people that, um, would be able to point them to you, Lord, the light of the world, um, and that they would, you would just stir in their hearts, that they would, Um, your Holy Spirit would um, open their eyes to the truth of the gospel, Lord, and that that they would just find hope and peace in you, Lord. Um, I pray for the ladies at Renewal, Lord, that are already there um, or that are going to be coming over the next few days or or weeks, Lord. I'm going to just pray that you would draw more to... um, to renewal, Lord, um, through your spirit, Lord, I pray that as they walk in the doors, that they would just sense your presence through your Holy Spirit, that they'd feel your love from their renewal staff, Lord, and from volunteers that would be able to have opportunities opportunities to build relationships with them, Lord. Um, I just pray that you would use us wherever we're at, Lord, if it's um, at home with our kids, if it's at relationships with those that we work with, um, that we would just, you would open our eyes to the opportunities before us every day, Lord, to share the gospel, and that we would just to be obedient, to, to open our mouths, Lord, and to, and to speak, and to, to share your truth, um, and we just love you, and we just thank you for this church body, for this family, and just for their hearts for you, their hearts for one another, Lord, um, and their hearts for the lost, in your name I pray, amen. can stand and sing with us this morning.
Austin comes up. Lord, we simply ask that our worship will move from words that we offer to you in recognition of who you are, your person, the truth, and that our worship would become our allegiance to your word, subjection to your word. Lord, would you create a desire in us to consume and apply and live out as much as possible your word. We believe that it's living. We believe that it's active. We believe that it's sharp. We believe that it's powerful and eternal. We believe that it's true. And Lord, would you use it in our lives now? In Jesus' name, amen.
if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, turn with me to the book of Habakkuk. If you're not real sure where that is, find Matthew, and then just start working your way backwards through the minor prophets. I'm going to put this back here so I don't knock it over. I'm, I'm very encouraged to see everyone here. I assume everyone came knowing we're going to be in Habakkuk. We're starting a new series in the Old Testament. I'm really excited about it because um, I'm really excited about it. So I know that's everyone came with that, that wonderful drumbeat. And uh, while you're turning there, too, I, I know Jake's not here. He's out of town visiting family. But I just want to say how much I appreciate Jake. Um, just giving a thorough explanation of the, the covenants and specifically the covenant of works last week. I um, thought he did an excellent job. And, and uh, so many times when we ask someone from the congregation, you know, to, to, to preach, we've given that opportunity. It's very much unplanned as far as how that works and fits into what precedes it or what follows it. But um, I, I'm, I'm very encouraged because Whereas last week, J- Jake gave just a wonderful explanation and, you know, and admonishment, encouragement about the covenants, the importance of them. This week, as we start our series in Habakkuk, we're going to see the stipulations of, of those covenants become concrete in the pages of history. Um, so we're going to begin to see just why those covenants are important as God draws, called a firm faith in a frustrating wor- uh, world. Um, and just a quick thank you to Austin Hammers for working out that graphic and being patient with Alan and I through our, our many critiques and trying to fine-tune that. Um, but uh, that, that's our, our sermon series. Just to kind of give you a brief overview, it's going to be probably five, six, maybe seven sermons somewhere uh, in there. Habakkuk's not a big book. It's only, about, it's only three chapters. Um, but Habakkuk really wrestles with some fundamental questions in regards to who God is and what's happening in the world around him. Um, and and the, a central theme, if there's an overall blanket um, idea in Habakkuk, it's the idea that the righteous shall live by faith. And that's a pillar uh, a theme in the New Testament and in the New Covenant. Um, many of the New Testament authors pull from that rightly to express what it means to be in Christ and to, to, to love Christ and to be in the church um, and all the things that come along with the New Testament. So that's one of the things that we're going to be looking at as we go through this series is how do we establish and, and have this firm faith in a world that is so frustrating and tumultuous around us, um, that graphic that you see there, you see, you see a rock with a tree growing out of it. You know, this tree that should not be growing out of this firm, just solid, unhealthy ground. And yet it is growing and it's surrounded by water. And so there the picture is, you know, the frustration of the world that's around us, this hard, stony ground, and yet God in His grace and His mercy that surrounds in His sovereignty all of history, all of the nations, all of the people causes His church, His remnant, His people to grow out of a place in which you would say that should not grow there. Okay, so you kind of see the overall, you know, picture there. So that's the big picture. Again, we're going to be in series of, you know, five to seven sermons somewhere in there that'll take us through each of the chapters um, you know in in this book and so we're going to deal with some really big big questions Uh, it's going to be very practical as we go through as well 
um, talking about the nature of who God is, what he's doing, um, and asking some hard questions. I know when I was younger, one of the things that I, I was very timid about doing was asking hard questions of scripture. It was kind of like, you know, you don't ask those questions. You just accept it. And as I grew older and got into college and especially had friends who were who had very differing beliefs of me begin to ask questions, I realized, hey, you know what? You can ask these hard questions of Scripture, and Scripture actually gives answers. And the answers are satisfying. And they connect, and they make sense. And so in, the, in a book like this, we're going to ask some very, very hard questions, uh, and, and we'll see how God answers them. And the effort of that is that it begins to produce an anneal faith in God's people because what we see is God is actually bigger and grander and far more glorious than what we thought of at the beginning. So that's that's the trajectory for this series. If you want to know why are we in Habakkuk, that's that's the direction. That's kind of where we're going to be going for you know half or so of the uh, of the summer. Um, also, just kind of as an administrative footnote, because of mine and Alan's schedules, and he and I are going to be gone at different points over the next month traveling. Um, we're going to rotate this. Uh, more regularly so instead of our previous kind of plan for sermons you know alan preaches three i preach the fourth one we're going to do every other one and that's just going to naturally flow with our own schedules we said this would be a good fit um so if you see that happening that's why um that's that's the reason behind it so okay all that that aside um let's dig in habakkuk chapter one starting in verse one the oracle which habakkuk the prophet saw how long, O Lord, will I call for help and you will not hear? I cry out to you violence, yet you do not save. Why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and contentions arises. Therefore, the law is ignored and justice is never upheld. For the wicked surround the righteous. righteous. Therefore, justice comes out perverted. And now God responds. Look among the nations. Observe. Be astonished and wonder. Because I am doing something in your days. You would not believe if you were told. For behold I am raising up the Chaldeans. That fierce and impetuous people. Who march throughout the earth. To seize dwelling places which are not theirs. They are dreaded and feared. Their justice and authority originate with themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards and keener than wolves in the evening. Their horsemen come galloping. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swooping down to devour. All of them come for violence. Their horde and faces move forward. They collect captives like sand. They mock at kings and rulers are a laughing matter to them. And heap up and laugh at every fortress and heap up rubble to capture it. Then they will sweep through like the wind and pass on. But they will be held guilty, they whose strength is their God. Let's pray. Father God, we're in a weighty part of your word. So Lord, I pray as we, as we consider this oracle from Habakkuk and the truths of your work in history. May it weigh rightly on us. May it cause us to look with soberness at the cross and the work that Jesus has done and what it means to be saved 
by grace alone, through faith alone. May we not shy away from your just hand when it is administered. But may we repent. May we call upon you in the day when you may be found. And may we be found faithful. Father, would you bless your word. Give me clarity to bring your message to your people this morning. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Um, I, I love, I love the, uh, the minor prophets. Um, I, I really do. I think a lot of, uh, a lot of people kind of sh- can shy away from them just because they're, they're difficult. But I, I look at the minor prophets kind of like limes. You know, if you, if you take a lime and you bite into it, um, it, 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 it produces a, a, a sobering effect on your taste buds. And the minor prophets are like that. If you were to bite into them alone, they, they, they would cause your soul to pucker, you know, in, in a sense. But when you take the minor prophets and you squeeze them over the cross and over the gospel, they produce a sense of a unique flavor that gives you a richer sense of what it means to be saved by grace. So I love the minor prophets. So I'm grateful that we're here this morning. So we're looking at this first section of Habakkuk. And I'll give you just my outline. It's very simple. The, the prophet's complaint, God's response, and then a warning to be heeded. Very simple. Okay? So we'll look first at the prophet's complaint. This is called an oracle. It's an oracle of Habakkuk. That word would also be rightly uh, rendered a burden. It was a burden on Habakkuk to, you know, to, to get this out, to get this message, this wrestling that he was struggling with and what God had then revealed to him to get this out. And so it's a, it's a burden on him. Now let's drop down into here. Let's get some context. A lot of times, especially in the Old Testament, when you're reading a prophet or you're reading you know, something that's in prophetic literature, it's, 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 it's paramount to understand the context of what's happening. To get a full sense of what's going on here so that we can better understand the message that's given. Now, not a lot is told about Habakkuk. There's not a lot of information that's given regarding his history, who he was, what he did. He appears as a blip basically here. And it's a testimony to the fact that what God wanted us to know and what he wanted his saints to know throughout history more dealt with the message than with the man himself. But there, is, there are things that give us context about what exactly was going on and the reason why Habakkuk brings this message and particularly his complaint. So let me kind of give you a, a, a framework. Habakkuk was a prophet of Judah. Uh, he ministered somewhere in the early part of the 7th century B.C. all the way up to about 586 B.C. Now, if you know much of your Old Testament history, there's two key pillar dates that occurred during this kind of time in, uh, in the Old Testament. One was uh, 722, which was when the northern kingdom called Israel, when Israel fell to the Assyrians. And then the second date is that 586 uh, B.C., which is when the southern kingdom, Judah, fell. Okay, and then you have the exile right there. So, so Habakkuk, his ministry is right there just prior to when Judah falls and is, and is just decimated and the exile happens. Okay, so that's when that happens. 
to get a full sense of kind of what's going on, you can look in Second uh, Kings chapter 22 through 24. I'll, I'll dip into that briefly here in just a minute. Um, but for your afternoon reading, if you want to go, okay, let me get a full sense of what's going on here. Read that. He's a, uh, Habakkuk was a contemporary of Daniel. Remember, Daniel was exiled during that first wave, that first battle, that the first siege of Jerusalem that took place. He was exiled. Um, Jeremiah as well. Um, and um, there's one more. I wrote Ezekiel, but I don't think that that's right. There's one more. I think it's, I think it's Zechariah. If that's important to you, ask me later. If not, don't worry about it. Um, so that, that's Habakkuk's ministry. That's where he is. Okay, he ministered during the reigns of, of several kings, two primary, which was Josiah and Jehoiakim. Okay, this was a dark time in, in Judah's history. Okay, just to give you a sense, if we dip down into 2 Kings chapter 22, we find that the past several kings had been phenomenally wicked. Um, one of those was Manasseh. And he instituted, uh, or not instituted, but brought in child sacrifice in the high places okay just to kind of give you a sense he, he is specifically highlighted by God later as the reason why God would bring judgment okay so there are wicked kings that are in Judah prior to Josiah Josiah comes in he, he comes in as a king and he's a uh, he's a godly king very rare during this time he comes in and just to kind of give you a sense of how bad things have gotten in, in 2 Kings 22, Hilkiah the Huck. Maybe we should read this. This might be important. He gives it to Josiah. Josiah reads it, and he's broken, and he's weeping. He reads the law. Here's what God's people are supposed to be doing. Here are the ramifications if they don't do it, and here are the blessings if they do do it. And, and, and Josiah goes, oh, my word. What have we done He's broken over that. He weeps and he begins to reinstitute the law. Now God comes to, to, to Josiah and he vows the evil and destruction that you've just read about. I'm not going to bring that on to you. Because of Judah's idolatry, as guilty as they are, I'm going to delay that through your reign. I'm not going to remove it completely, but you will not see it. You will experience a season of relative peace because of your humility, because of your intercession. And then Josiah dies, and a new king comes, his son, who's wicked. And history plays itself out because right after that, Judah is decimated. So you get a sense of kind of how bad things have gotten and why, uh, why Habakkuk is complaining to the Lord. Let me give you an example. Look, look, here's some of the reforms that, that Josiah had to institute. Okay? One of those, the priests were burning incense on the high places, and he removes those. He also removes the Asherah. That's an idol to a pagan god who uh, to a pagan god of sexual promiscuity and war. Right? Sexual promiscu promiscuity and violence. And that that uh, that idol was in the temple was in the very house of God. He removes that idol, has it cast into the book of Kidron and destroyed. Okay, he also tears down the high places of all of these foreign gods that had put in place under previous kings. Right, polytheism becomes rampant. 
And Josiah is like, nope, there's one God, and there's one law. Let's get rid of all this. Let's get rid of all the priests. You know, he's, I mean, he just cleans house. So you see what's happening, that, that Judah, they're in, they, they've received God's blessing. They're in the promised land. They're thriving, and all of a sudden, they've just decided, you know, we're doing good. We're going to do this thing on our own. They're looking at other nations going, hey, we want to be like them. Let's bring those Let's bring those religious icons in here. Let's bring these things in. Well, we want to develop good political relationships with our neighbors. So we're going to capitulate the, God, the things that God has told us to do in, in order to maintain political decency and in order to get resources. I mean, you see how all of these things work out. And consequently, God's law was ignored and moral degradation follows. Now, it's not a stretch to see how similar things happen even in our own day. And so the prophet cries out. He says, how long, O Lord, will I call for help? He's seeing the things that are going on around him. And he's crying out to the Lord. Now, when I read this, I have to say, I mean, I looked at this, and I, I had to read this several times as I do when I study and read through this multiple, multiple, multiple times. And it took multiple times to realize the prophet says, how long will I cry out? He's been in persistent prayer over the state of his countrymen, over the state of the people, of the covenant people of God. And I had to ask myself, do I, do I pray like that? I mean, the, the sense here is that Habakkuk is counted among those who are righteous in faith a humble man righteous in faith that's the whole kind of point trajectory of the of the book and it's a testimony that persistent penitent and intercessory prayer is a mark of the righteous who live by faith does that characterize us i'll be honest for me i it, i'm i'm very quick to get frustrated and fuss about all the mess that i see out in the world but I am very slow to beseech God on behalf of the people around me. I'm more apt to fuss about it, complain about it, place myself up on the high pedestal, the high moral ground, because I'm a pastor, whatever, rather than humbly cry out to God and do so regularly. I mean, that's the sense that Habakkuk regularly cries out to God Lord do something do something here and the, and the sense is not like Lord rain, rain fire down change your people this is your covenant people do something how long are you going to wait how long are you going to stay silent look at the words that he uses to describe this situation he says trouble and suffering iniquity wickedness how long will you make me see this, Lord? How long will you make me see plundering and violence? Strife and contention, the arguing and the fussing between people. How long will you, will you cause me to see this? How long will you allow this to go before you do something? And then he gets right to the heart of it, that the law is ignored. 
He knows the function of God's law. It's to convict hearts. It's to humble the people before God. But when the law is ignored, when the law is ignored, its function is pulled out, from, its power is pulled out from under it. And he says, what happens then? Well, the wicked then outnumber the righteous and they begin to impose and enforce their own moral code. A wickedness that looks something like and may even have the veneer of religiosity. Remember, this is polytheism. There's a lot that's going on here. There is a moralness to it, but it's in the wrong foundation. And so consequently, justice then becomes perverted. Right? What's the worst thing that a, uh, uh, the worst thing a righteous person could do when they are wronged in a society is to appeal to an unjust and perverted legal system. I mean, you just think about that for a minute. I think in a sense, to some degree, we're used to the fact, at least to the thought, that if I am wronged, there's going to be a sense of justice that I can appeal to. But what happens when that sense of justice is totally perverted and twisted? And there is no justice. I, I think of the, the, in the story Pilgrim's Progress, when Pilgrim and Faithful reached the town of Vanity Fair, you know, the, the town where, where self-indulgence and materialism is the name of the game, you know, and they begin to proclaim eternal things and hope in God and not in material things and possessions and all of these things. And this causes the disturbance amongst the people. And the town um, city council, basically, you know, the judges, they come and they, they're arrested. And the trial that they have is far from just. And faithful begins to proclaim the gospel and the truth of the things that he knows and, and, and of Christ and the cross. And he's executed because of it. And as I get that sense that that is what, that's what Habakkuk is dealing with. He's, he's seeing the people that know the truth and have it, but they've twisted it, they've perverted it. And so he cries out, how long, how long, God, will you allow your righteous people to suffer without intervening? The idea there is that Habakkuk is speaking for a righteous remnant that's there, but also for his countrymen who have gone astray. But he's seeing this and he's, he, he said there's a righteous people that's here that's suffering. How long, Lord? How, oh, Lord, how long? I think it's interesting. He asked that question. And it isn't that often how where we get to. We, we ask that question. We see the struggle. We see the suffering. And we, in a right sense, we, na we zero in on that moment. Whether that's us that's suffering or whether that's someone else. And we ask, how long, O oh Lord? How long before you answer? Why do you delay? And I think it's right and acceptable to ask those questions. Provided that that's acquiring the Lord in a spirit of trust. You think of the man who... His daughter had a demon and the, and the disciples could not cast it out. And he comes to Jesus and asks, you know, for help. And he says, Lord, I, I do believe, but help my unbelief. You know, he struggled. He struggled with, with unbelief. And he acknowledged it. But he came with a spirit of trust. And I think you see the same sense with Habakkuk. He trusts the Lord, but he has honest, deep 
struggling questions about the silence of the Lord. But if we pull back the curtain a little bit on redemptive history, we see that Habakkuk's not the first to ask that question. In fact, the Lord asked that question. God asked that question multiple times in Israel's history. In Exodus chapter 16, God had instituted the Sabbath. He'd given man, mammon. Remember, Israel's in the wilderness. They're wandering. He gives the mammon, uh, or, uh, not mammon, the, the manna. Let me make that sure, sure that's right. He gives the manna, bread from heaven. And he says, look, I'm going to give this every morning. You know, th or he said, this is, gonna ha this is how this is going to play out. Every morning you go out and you, you, you pick this stuff up and you eat it. And it will sustain you. But on the Sabbath day, it will not come. Do not go out. And the people are like, okay. And then the Sabbath day comes. And they're like, no, we want more of it. Right? On the day before, there was going to be a twofold dispensing of manna. So they would have enough. So then on the one day, God said, dedicate this to me, to worshiping me. One day. You know, you don't have to go out and get food. I'm going to provide that beforehand. And they go, mm, don't think we're going to, we don't think we believe you. We want more. And they go out and they go to collect. And God tells Moses, he says, how long? How long will you refuse to keep my commandments? Later, in, uh, in Numbers, the people asked for a king. Right, God had been their king beforehand. You had the judges, right? And they see the pagan nations, see the nations around them. They're like, they have a king. We want a king. No, God, we don't want you to be a king. We want a human king. Give us a human king. And God, like a wise father who sees his children asking for something that's going to cause trouble, gives it to them knowing there's going to be a hard lesson that's going to be learned here. And so he gives them a king. He gives them Saul, but he tells them, I'm sorry, I jumped the gun right there. He gives them a king. I'll tie this in. Sorry, that's for later. But he gives them a king, but he tells them, he says, he says, there will come a day when this is going to cause your destruction, and you will cry out to me, and I will not answer you. The event in Numbers is where the spies go into the land of Cana, and they come back, Remember? And all but two of them have a negative report. Oh, they're giants. They're terrible people. You know, this is not going to end well for us. And Caleb and Joshua were like, yeah, the Lord's our God. Let's do it. Let's do this thing. You know, and the people grumble and complain. They come to Moses and they say, why have you brought us here? Better that we die in Egypt. And God says, how long? How long will you not believe me? And so we see that the patience of the Lord throughout Israel's history we see his patience as he deals with a stubborn and obstinate people. So this event in Habakkuk is not isolated. As much as it is, is it's easy for Habakkuk to look at just what's going on right here and right now and cry out. And, and rightly so, we would do the same. We do the same today. But pulling back the pages of history, we see the patience of the Lord in crying out long before the prophet did. How long? How long, how long will you disobey me? How long will you not believe? And in fact, the, the Habakkuk says, how long will you see, let me see violence? I cry out to you violence. That word violence is the same word that's used in Genesis when violence covered the earth before God brought the flood. You see, the wickedness 
that was in the world at that time had now permeated God's people. And so it's telling of what is coming then from God's hand. But before we go there, take a look at what, where we are, that there's application for us. There's a warning about straying from God's covenant. There's a, a lesson for the nation who has all things necessary for life and thriving in, yet jetsons, jetsons God's law in order to go their own way. And so how does God respond? Right? How, how, do, how does God respond? Does he respond in the, the contemporary way of, well, it's okay. You know, I'm, so, I'm just waiting. I'm waiting for somebody to do something. Here's his hands tied behind his back. Right? Is it, is it, well, I just have these warm feelings towards you and just wish that you would, you know. Is there a softness there? Because there's the contemporary side of the gospel that ignores the judgment of God and yet it is paramount to understanding the grace of God. I think it is phenomenal that God responds in the way that he does. He doesn't come to Habakkuk and say, well, here's the, here are the things you need to do. You know, set up a good king and then institute these new political rules. Right? I, I think, men, I think we can... We, we can sympathize with this. We love to fix things, right? Your wife comes to us with problems and struggles. Okay, let's break out the tools and let's fix things. But there's a bigger thing that's going on here. No, you just need to shut up and listen, right? We want to fix things. And God doesn't come in and scratch that itch and say, here's how you fix it. What he does is he pulls back the curtain on the international scene and he says, look at what I am doing in the big picture. He says, look among the nations. God was raising up the Chaldeans as his divine instrument of judgment. There's no softball there, is it? Right? Do you see that? That God is sovereign over the nations. He's not dependent on the people in Judah You've got to figure this thing out. I'm just I'm waiting on you. You know, my hands are tied. But he's telling the, the prophet, he says, what, I will, what I'm doing, it's bigger than just regionally what's going on here. It's going to have international ramifications. And he's doing this as an execution of divine judgment. God is saying, my patience has, has reached its limit, and now I will execute judgment. But that's not blindsided. That should not have blindsided anyone in, in Habakkuk's day. Okay, let me, uh, let me show you where that, there's a foundation there. Because God had promised judgment if, if Israel had broken his covenant. I told you how, I told you how these, the covenants will break, become concrete in history. Here's how it is. Right? When God gave his covenant uh, to his people in Deuteronomy, He's, he's giving his covenant to, uh, to the people of God. They're standing on two mountains, okay? One is barren, one is lush. It's a graphic image of what it looks like to follow God and receive blessing. Lush, lush image, okay? Or a uh, lush mountain. Then there's a barren mountain, okay? This is what it means. This is what it looks like to transgress his covenant. Blessings if you obey the Lord, curses 
if you disobey him. And, and at the final end of, of, of that woe and will, of that, of that blessings and curses, he says you will not prosper in your ways. If you disobey, you will not prosper in your ways, but you shall only be oppressed and robbed continually with none to save you. He says so that, the, that all these curses shall come on you and pursue you and overtake you until you are destroyed because you, because you would not obey the Lord your God by keeping his commandments. Listen to the language that's in this in the context of what's happening right here in God raising up the Chaldeans who are going to decimate Judah and bring judgment. They shall become a sign. He's talking, he's talking about the curses that he's, that he's given, this destruction of God's people. They will be a sign and a wonder on you to your descendants forever because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and a glad heart for the abundance of all things therefore you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you in hunger and thirst and nakedness and in the lack of all things and he will put an iron yoke on your neck until he has destroyed you this is where later as I said, this was from, from 1 Samuel when the people asked for a king. And the Lord says, and the, I'll give you the king, but that king and that series of kings is going to cause your destruction. And when you cry out, I will not hear you. And so this is the background to where, where, where Habakkuk is on the world stage and on the stage of history. This judgment from God doesn't come out of, it doesn't come out of nowhere. God had promised this is going to happen if you disobey. And the, and the people of God had disobeyed. And the first part of that judgment was the destruction of, of Israel through Assyria. The second part of that would be a three-siege period where the Chaldeans, who eventually become the Babylonians, King Nebuchadnezzar, those are kind of can, you know, connecting the dots. The Chaldeans then sweep in and decimate. Okay? And he says, when we're back in Habakkuk, he says, look, Observe, wonder, be astonished at the work that I'm doing. I mean, here's the God who is sovereign over nations. Okay, th think about what happens with the Chaldeans. I mean, just picture this. This blows my mind. Here is a people who virtually is non-existent at the start of Habakkuk's ministry. They're a little pipsqueak on the, you know, the world stage. And in the course of 30 years, they rise to a world superpower. They destroy, uh, they, they destroy Assyria, Egypt, take over Babylon, Palestine. I mean, they de in 30 years. Okay, I'm 38 years old. I mean, imagine that there is a, there's a world, there's this little tiny country in the middle of nowhere that when I'm born, nobody knows about. And 30 years later, they're a world superpower. And they've taken over the major countries. That's, that blows my mind. I can't fathom that. And I'm sorry, I'm sorry, that's in 20 years. That's in 20 years. And the last bit of that, five, what did I say, five, see, I'm already forgetting my dates. When, when, uh, when Jerusalem is decimated, they, they sack Jerusalem on the last siege and destroy it, cart off all of the, the, uh, all of the temple, all of the, the temple treasures, everything in the temple, take the last captives to Babylon. And then in 539, the Persians come in, destroy 
the Babylonians just in time to fulfill Jeremiah's prophecy that the captivity would only last 70 years. I mean, you talk about a God who's sovereign over nations in history. Does that not make what's happening here with Habakkuk small? I don't want to belittle what he's saying, but I want to draw this to an application with us that we look at it and we're, we're so focused. Well, this generation, well, what's happening with me right here, right now, this is what matters, Lord. We're crying out, and rightly so, but God pulls back the picture and he says, do you see what I'm doing? When you think about America, and I mean, we're, all, we're a nation that's only a few hundred years old. You know what that looks like on the timeline in the front of your Bible? Bloop. A little blip. American history. Right there. And then you dial that back to a generation. It doesn't even pop up. Right? This is a God who is sovereign over nations phenomenally sovereign over nations. Nations that don't give a lick about him in order to bring about his purposes. Look at, look at the character, the characteristics of the Chaldeans here, okay? They're a fierce and impetuous people characterized by rash action. They march throughout the earth. That's the image of a total reign, right? The, 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 the crux of civilization that fertile crescent area right there where 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 the majority of civilization is growing they become the world superpower right there they seize lands and property that's not theirs can't help but think that of the promise that was given to the israelites right before they entered the promised land you're going to go in and you're going to seize and take property that's not yours to my glory and now that they've transgressed God's covenant, that table is returned. Now the property that you seized that wasn't yours to begin with, and other people are going to come in and take it away from you. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. They are dreaded and feared. Justice and authority originate with themselves. They're an autonomous governance. They're phenomenal and vicious. That picture of the evil eagle swooping in or is the eagle swooping down to devour you ever watched an eagle or a bird of prey you know pick apart a carcass i mean that's the picture they come in and just devour that's a characteristic of these chaldeans right they've got a they've got a strong and strengthy cavalry a nation in that time that had a strong cavalry they, they took the cake, typically, in a battle. I mean, there's a reason that we, we have a saying, call in the cavalry. I mean, it's the idea when the cavalry comes in, you win. Right? We, we, you wouldn't say it if that wasn't the case. It wouldn't make any sense. Right? But a nation then, or, or a people group who had a strong cavalry with archers and spearmen, I mean, they would just come in and they would decimate. That's the equivalent of, like, a, you know, an army that has tanks. That makes a big difference when you have tanks. Right? Watch any war movie. A tank comes in, oh dear, now we're in trouble. You know, so this is, I mean, this graphic imagery is meant to just show the phenomenal power at which these Chaldeans are going to come in and execute judgment. They're persistent marching. There's a definite conquest there. They're going to take captives like sand. The promise that was given to Abraham, your descendants will outnumber, you know, the sands of the seashore, and yet this nation is going to collect you. No neighboring nation would help Judah. 
These Chaldeans will scoff and laugh at kings. They laugh at fortifications. You know, no fortress is going to slow their progress. They will employ successfully any and all means to achieve victory. And God would receive the glory and honor due for the judgment that the Chaldeans were going to deliver. Remember I said that in the course of history, there were three sieges to the city of Jerusalem, to Judea, and in 586, Jerusalem fell. Judah fell. It was decimated. The end of God's judgment was fully executed on his people, and his people were carried captive. So God is phenomenally sovereign over the course of history. It should cause us to stand in awe and wonder and shudder to just see how small we are on on the world stage of history and what God is doing. So we're looking at the prophet's complaint, God's response, and then the warning to be heeded. This is the last part. Because what was God doing? He wasn't just there to destroy the people and be done. He could have done that at the ark, but he didn't do it. His whole purpose was was to preserve a righteous remnant for himself, a people for himself, by faith alone, by grace alone, and through faith alone. Okay, I don't want to. I don't want to spoil the next couple weeks. Okay, because Habakkuk next is going to ask a very, very important, very hard question. God, how is it if you are sovereign and you are good and you are holy? How is it that you can use this nation that is worse than we are? Because they don't even know you. They don't even care about you. How can you use them to execute judgment on your covenant people? How is it that you can use an unholy people to carry out a holy means? And I won't spoil that, but I'll, 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 I'll give you this, that God will respond and say that both, both Judah, both the corrupt Judah and the godless Babylon will fall under God's judgment. And that only the righteous will live by faith. Think of the picture of a pair of scissors. One blade is corrupt Judah and the other blade is, uh, is godless Chaldeans who become the, the Babylonians. God says, I will use this scissor in order to prune my people and in order to cut off a remnant for myself. And this is the pattern that you see God doing throughout history. You see, there's no moral high ground. None of the people sitting there you know, will look and, and can say, well, we're better than they are. God says, no, only the humble, righteous, preserve, only the humble, only humble faith preserves and is saved. This is the warning that's given to us. This is, this is what Paul, when Paul in Acts chapter 13, he, he gives clarity to this for us in the, in the warning. He uses the same, the same warning. He's on his first missionary journey. He's in, he's in Cyprus. He's preaching to the Jews. And he gives them the gospel. He's reviewing their history and how the, the frailty of the law, the weakness of the law was that it did not provide what it required. And he tells them, he says, therefore, 
Speaking of the gospel, he says, Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through Christ, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And through him, everyone who believes is freed from all the things which you could not be freed from through the law. Therefore, take heed so that the things spoken of in the prophets. He's about to quote. He's about to quote um, Habakkuk. So that the things spoken of in the prophets may not come true upon you. Behold, you scoffers, and marvel and perish, for I'm accomplishing a work in your days, a work which you, will, which you would never believe, though someone should describe it to you. See what he's challenging them. He says, don't miss the warning. You see, when, when God told that to Habakkuk, Habakkuk speaking from the remnant perspective, Lord, save your people, and then God responds in the plural, you can't see it in the English, but it's there in the original language that God's message is not just to Habakkuk, but it is to all the nation of Israel. And it's not sit back and marvel and wonder like you're standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon going, wow, that's cool, like you're a spectator. No, it is to marvel and wonder to repentance, to turn. Right? When God saves and when he, he one of two things happens when God acts in response to his covenant. Either there's repentance and faith or there's judgment and destruction. And there's not really any gray ground, right? But anytime the warning is given, there's the opportunity for repentance. And so Paul takes this message from Habakkuk, this warning, and he gives it to the Jews in Cyprus after giving them the gospel. You don't have any moral high ground. The law can't save you. Turn to Christ and the grace that he offers. Be freed from your sins. But heed this warning. Because of what God is doing through Christ. And the Jews reject Paul's message. You know what happens? The Jews reject Paul's message and Paul and Barnabas then turn around and they say, we're going to the Gentiles. And it is through the rejection of, of the Jews that Paul goes to the Gentiles and the message just burns through the Gentiles and the Gentiles are brought into the fold of faith, completing or beginning the completion of a promise that has been given throughout the ages that the Gentiles would be folded into the family of God. And so may God do for us what he calls that we would marvel as a nation that there would be repentance. Now let me be clear. You know, the Amer America is not the new covenant church. But there is something to be said when it's stamped on our coins and it's written on our, on our buildings. One nation under God. And the world around us believes that we're a Christian nation. To begin with foundations for a nation that are centered around the word of God. Not perfect, but that's the beginning. And then to then, several centuries later, turn away from those and actually drag them through the mud. Should we not think that God would do something? That there would be a sifting of his people? When there's a cultural 
Christian church that looks nothing like what the gospel proclaims. It is a warning for all of us. And I'm not talking about like the church over there. I mean, I'm talking about all of us. It means us too. It's the, it's the righteous that live by faith. There's a humbleness that's produced there. And we ought to take that warning seriously. The stakes are high on this side of the new covenant. I'm, I'm reminded of the warnings that are given in Hebrews. In Hebrews 2 where he says, so let us pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable and every transgression brought about its just punishment. He's talking about the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. How much more do we, th- how much, how much more do we think we can escape if we neglect so great a salvation? He's comparing the shadow of the Old Testament covenant and the justice that God would bring when that was broken to the new covenant. How shall we think that we can escape if we neglect so great a salvation? I don't think that he's necessarily meaning that punishment and suffering, this side of the new covenant, would be worse in a physical, tangible, qualitative sense than it was in the old covenant. I think that there's a broader perspective of what that suffering would mean on an eternal level, a better understanding of it, and perhaps a greater degree of punishment on the eternal level. The stakes are higher for us. He warns later in Hebrews 13, do not, uh, do not refuse him who speaks from heaven. So the application for us is to heed the warning. Marvel and wonder at the work of God when, when his patience reaches an end and he brings discipline and he brings his judgment for his righteous purposes. But have hope and comfort because what he is doing is he is refining a people for himself. And that is hard when Habakkuk gets, when we get to the end of the, of the book, the last chapter, it's a prayer from Habakkuk. And you get a sense of very humble prayer. Habakkuk knows he's getting ready to go through the fire. And, and, he, and he may not see the light on the other side of it. That's a very sobering thought. And yet he prays, Lord, keep me faithful. Keep me faithful. Keep me humble. Keep me faithful. Don't let me slip. Don't let me fall. This side of the new covenant, we'd say, Lord, keep our eyes on the cross. Keep, keep, give me a myopic view for grace, for what it means to follow Jesus so that it don't slip away. Help me heed the warning and follow Christ faithfully because he's doing a sifting work. He's doing a pruning work. So let me pray for us and then we'll close out. Father God, Lord, we thank you. Thank you for the hard text of Scripture, Father. It's easy in this day to say God is love and God loves you and He's patient. Focus on your patience. Focus on your love. And just say, you know, God's going to bring a good thing out of this and eventually you'll see it. And while all of these things may be true, 
the balanced treatment of your character is that you are merciful and your mercy is new every morning, but you will visit the iniquities of one generation on the next. So, Father, may we not be so blind as to think only of your patience, but to know that you have a firm hand of discipline and of judgment. Father, we may be faithful to your new covenant, to listen to your spirit, to cling close to you, to pray to you in a time when you may be found. Father, that's the, I think that's the message that's here now. That's the warning. May we be faithful to give the gospel to people around us. That repentance and faith might happen in our nation. It's beyond what we can see, Father. I don't look at it and think I've got the power to change an entire nation. Father, we know the message of the gospel. And each of us, I think sitting here, if we're a follower of Christ, we know the power of the gospel in our lives and even in the lives of others and those around us. So, Father, would you give us courage? Give us courage to proclaim the gospel to those around us. Not in a sense of lording over others, but in a sense of coming alongside them. And that, Father, we might be a nation like Nineveh who turned and followed you and your grace was showered on them. Father, if we must endure judgment, that, Father, you might refine your church and move away, wipe away the dross of anything that doesn't look like Jesus. Father, would you keep us faithful? Give us a clear eye for the gospel. Let us not get lost in the weeds. Let us not wander into unknown in perilous places where we might lie down and get comfortable and then never get up again. But Father, keep us faithful to the task that you've put before us to be a testimony of your grace and mercy to those around us and to the world, even at the expense of earthly suffering. Father, for as we sang, our, t- our treasure is in heaven. For mine, are key, for mine are the keys of Zion unto which I might enter into your presence and hear you say one day well done good and faithful servant enter into the glory of your master that is our hope and may all efforts and exercises in this life be used toward that end that you might be glorified in all things. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he lift up his face towards you. May he uh, bless you and keep you. You're dismissed.